Father, as we hear the words of Jesus this morning, what he is saying, help us please not to be offended. Help us please to understand what he is saying about the state of our hearts. And help us to see all the more why we need Jesus and to turn to him gladly and thankfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A question to start. How do we respond to sin? How do we respond to sin? When stuff happens round about us, the world we live in, sin is not just out there on the headlines and in the big bad world, it's close to home. When other people round about us do things that are wrong and that affects us, I want you to think for a moment. How do you respond when that happens in home, in the workplace, with the family, with the children? Um, might you respond to someone's uh, sinful behavior by uh, disapproving, a roll of the eyes, a shake of the head, if, if not physically inside, that's what you're doing. An element of, of, of judging. Um, okay, let's shift the focus. What about when we see sin in our own lives and we know that we've stuffed up and done something that was wrong, hurt someone with words or actions or deeds? How do, how do we respond in that moment when we know we've got things wrong? Do we feel a despair? Do we prefer to ignore it and just move on, brush it under the carpet? Do we resolve to try harder? These are all responses that I think I've made, and I suspect many of us have made as well. Jesus, in these verses, wants us to understand exactly the problem of sin and what's going on. Um, in these verses, Jesus is talking to us about the state of our hearts. And in the Bible, when the Bible talks about the heart, it, it, it means the center of a person. Very much how we might talk about the heart of the matter. What's really at the center of this? the center of our personalities. The heart is where we make the decisions that govern our lives. So, so on a ship, the, the, the control center is called the bridge. You see that in the Starship Enterprise if you're a Trekkie, the bridge. In a car, maybe it's the bridge as well if you've got a really nice car, but it's probably the driving seat. The driving seat is where the control happens. In a human being, the Bible calls it the heart. And today we might call it our wills. So as we gather this morning, doing what we're doing here at St. John's, I want us to think about this question to begin with. Where is your heart? Simply that. Where is your heart? The center of you. In this time, this activity this morning, Maybe you're new and you've come along. Maybe you're new to Christian things. You're trying to find out more. 
Maybe you're familiar with St. John's and Christianity. It's been part of life for a long time. The question for all of us we're starting with here as we look at the words of Jesus is where are our hearts? We're starting with that because these verses show us that's what Jesus is concerned with, the state of our hearts. When the Pharisees came to him, they were concerned with washing hands. Verse 2, did you notice that? Look down and see verse 2. They say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. So a little bit of background. The tradition of the elders started with a verse in the Bible in the Old Testament, probably to do with God commanding the priests to wash their hands. And then the elders added to that and decided that all God's people should have a hand-washing ritual. And so it was passed on orally and then eventually written down, mere human rules. But rather than point this out, Jesus goes in the attack, verse 3. He says to them, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? He then refers them to the fifth commandment. For God said, verse 4, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. So honor your father and mother, that's the fifth commandment that Moses received from God. And then the extra bit in Exodus is included in Exodus and shows us how serious the matter is. Verse 5, but you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, it's devoted to God. They are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your traditions. So, so what they were doing was they had invented a new way of expressing devotion to God. If someone formally committed all their possessions to God so that when they died, their possessions would, would transfer to the temple treasury, this was a way of devoting themselves to God. But until the day of their death, they alone were free to use their assets and possessions as they wished. Until then, they could spend it on no one but themselves and not on their parents. Can you see the sneaky, the sneaky sidestep? Sorry, Mom, no birthday present today. Um, I've promised it to God instead. I'd love to, but it's devoted to God. Now, why are they doing this? Well, if we think about their hearts, maybe they loved money. Or maybe they loved looking good. Maybe this tradition is just more doable than the command to continue to honor your parents. Maybe it just helped them feel better about themselves in a comparison with others. 
focused on what they're doing and what others aren't doing. But the consequence is that we see what mattered most to them. That's what Jesus puts on show. What mattered most to them was their traditions, not God's word and not God. The consequence of all their religious activity, Jesus says, hypocrites. Verse 8. Look down at verse 8. He says, these people, quoting Isaiah but applying it to the Pharisees, he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Where are their hearts? Their hearts are far from God. This would have shocked. These were the, the religious experts down from Jerusalem. And this is what Jesus is saying to them. Your hearts are far from God. That word hypocrites, you, you, in, in, in the Bible, the, the, the Greek word is to do with playing a part. You've heard of the, the BAFTAs that we see, presentations for actors who have played the part well. Jesus is saying, you could get a BAFTA. We've been wearing masks. It's about putting on a mask and playing the part. Well, these guys had played the part superbly. Outwardly, they appear to be ticking the right boxes, keeping their traditions faithful, devout, serious believers. But it's a sham just playing a part. Where are their hearts? Far from me. They look like they're part of God's people, but as it stands, they're not. And in these chapters, we've been seeing as we've been going along that King Jesus is building his church. He's starting to gather those who belong to him and who are part of his people on earth. And it's all based on how they respond to him. So he may well be saying, because what Matthew has told us is that Jesus is the son of God. He may well be saying, you are far from me, far from God, because of the way you're living. Here we're, we're learning what's actually at the heart of Christianity. Not religious activity, not rule-keeping, but relationship. Relationship with the living God. Somebody has said it well when they said, Christianity is all about Christ. How we respond to Jesus. If you're exploring, this is key to understand. If you're already a disciple, this is key, and we must not forget our hearts are either for him or against him. And if we are investigating, here's a prayer that you could pray. Lord, help me to understand and love Jesus more. It's all about him. All that we are doing, here it's in John's. Where? are our hearts in relation to Jesus? I think this is a particularly pertinent question off the back of, of well, while this season continues. 
But, but at any time, there are pressures, are there not, to just keep the show on the road and to keep going. And I wonder if that can cause us to slip into Pharisaic tendencies in our discipleship, where we can be suddenly aware of the danger of playing a part, keeping up appearances. We know what we should be doing. We turn up on a Sunday, then we do something midweek. We hear a sermon, then we have a Bible study. This is what happens in the service. I know what's happening in the service. I know what the next part's about. It could almost verge towards being an autopilot. I can feel that at times myself. We know when to be serious. We know when to be friendly. But in all of it, is there not just a danger that we could be ticking the box before we move on to the next thing? These verses remind us this morning that what God cares about most is our hearts. Where are our hearts to reflect on? A second question, though. What comes out of the heart? What comes out of the heart? Jesus calls the crowd to them because to him because there's more to understand. Um, and he says this in verse 11. He says, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. This word defile means that is what makes them spiritually unclean, not fit for God. And of course, that's the very thing that the Pharisees want to be by their rule keeping. And Jesus is now saying the very thing the Pharisees are trying to avoid has already happened. You're already defiled. The problem is not external. It's, it's internal. It's not out there. It's in here. Now, the Pharisees should have known this. The Old Testament reading from Jeremiah is just making that point that sin was engraved on the heart of God's people. But they've ignored this. And so Jesus must, in these verses, denounce them because their teaching is leading people astray. They are blind guides. Jesus wants the crowd and his disciples to stop following the Pharisees and to stop listening to them. Here's what he wants them to understand about the heart and defilement. Verse 17, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Jesus is saying here, The human heart 
is our fundamental problem. By nature, our hearts are inclined towards evil because we have sinful, evil hearts. It's that bad. So imagine you witness an act of unkindness to help illustrate this. Maybe something, in the, just imagine playground days and a child getting bullied by others, cruel things happening, one person to another. At what point is the perpetrator sinful? Is it at the point when the action occurs, something happens? Is it at the point where the bully starts to devise and have the thought? Is that when they're sinful? Is it the point when, is it the point earlier than that, when they see the victim and decide what they're going to do? Is that the point when they are sinful or when sin occurs? And what Jesus is saying is, is that at every single point, the person is sinful. Not just when the action happens, that is what we might refer to the sin, but it has come out of the sinful heart. It's that bad. And he's saying this is true of every person, not just the Pharisees. What comes out is the overflow of what is inside. We've illustrated it before that if, if we get knocked, what comes out of our heart is what's already in our hearts. If we find a source of water and it is polluted, it is polluted at source and it affects everything. Now, of course, this is not what we think. We tend to divide the world into two kinds of people. The evil people and us. We tend to think that, that, that we all start good, but to a greater or lesser extent, we're victims of our surroundings, our environments. Our character is shaped by external things. So if I get something wrong, I blame it on someone or something else. I, I'm sorry for being angry, but you annoyed me. I'm sorry I shouted, but I'm just fed up and tired. It's been really tough at work. I'm sorry, but that's just the way we did things when I was growing up. To shift the blame like that is to, to point to circumstances outside and to locate the problem outside of us. And Jesus says, listen to me. He says to the crowd, listen and understand. It's not outside, it's inside. Verse 11, it's what comes out. Verse 18, it's from the heart. Verse 19, out of the heart. But is this what we really see in real life? Well, I look at my children and I've got to say, yes. If you have young children from the earliest of ages, yes, this is what we see in real life. They are naturals at sinning. No one has had to taught them how not to share, to snatch, to steal, or to be angry. Someone might object, of course, probably them. They're just not educated. 
But of course, it doesn't improve with age. It doesn't change. There might be some sophisticated new ways of covering it up, but the same things continue to happen. If we run the test of verse 18 on ourselves and think about what has come out of our mouths, we only have to think about the way we speak to colleagues, strangers, someone on the phone, the other end of a a call, in the shop, our family, parents, spouses, children. We know how we can speak in a way that is economical with the truth. We know how we can slander and gossip and run someone down. And the test in verse 19 actually focus on thoughts, just thoughts. What do our thoughts betray about the state of our hearts? When we're at home or in the class, when we're walking along or just people watching, what do the interactions of our thoughts betray about our hearts? When we make judgments and assumptions based on on mere appearance, Jesus says murder. Well, earlier he equates murder to anger when we've hated someone to the point of wanting to hit them or wishing them dead. Jesus talks about adultery when thoughts of lust have come upon us. When we've thought about someone sexually in a wrong way that we're not married to. We're not saying that everyone is guilty of every single sin listed here, but that there is the potential for any of us to do these things because of the state of our hearts. In these verses, Jesus is trying to show us that we are opposed to God's commands. That's where these verses come from. God's commandments. Our hearts are what defile us, Jesus says. And he's shifted from talking about the Pharisees to talking about every person, us. A good time ago, the Times newspaper asked the question, what is wrong with the world? asking for correspondence and the answers and people wrote in with all sorts of what we might say predictable answers education living conditions social environment and so on and so on but it was the shortest letter that said both the most and the truth it was from a christian writer called gk chesterton and he wrote dear sir what is wrong with the world i am Full stop. Yours sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. Jesus wants us this morning to understand the problem of our hearts. The daily evidence is there. And in my life, and surely in our lives, it fits with his diagnosis. Why then is Jesus telling the crowd? Why is he telling disciples this? Because he is gathering 
his people. He's building his church. We need to remember that. Notice he doesn't tell us here, you need to try harder. He's already shown that religion is not the answer. He's telling us because he wants sinful people like you and I to know how much we need him. Now, if this is new, don't respond as the Pharisees did. They were offended. They thought they didn't need Jesus. If our questions this morning have struck a note, where is our heart this morning and what comes out of the heart? Then what must we do? What must we do when we see sin? Sin in others? Well, we must not judge or despair. We must respond in humility and in mercy because it is showing us how much we need Jesus. And when we see it in ourselves, if we are understanding Jesus' words, then the evidence of that will be that we will be people who will be quick to say sorry to God and sorry to those who we've offended and hurt. Confession will be a central part of the Christian life if we are understanding these words of Jesus. That we will be quick to go and say to others, I'm sorry, I sinned against you. We won't be known as people who, who never say sorry. We won't be described like that. Someone who just never said sorry. When we see our own sin, we will be quick to say sorry to others and to say sorry to God if we're understanding the state of our hearts. And in families, this is how we will show our families and one another how much we need Jesus. King Jesus is gathering his people, people with sinful hearts like you and I, people who understand how much they need him. Matthew has already been telling us how Jesus can do this. He said that Jesus came to fulfill the law, to live the life of obedience that we could not. And right at the start, verses we remember every Christmas, he said, Jesus' own name. He's given that name because he came to do what? He came to save his people from their sins. So this morning, let's turn to him gladly, thankful that his death on the cross deals with our problem and ask for his help to change. Let me pray.
Father, thank you for sending your Son. so that we can be helped to understand that our hearts are sinful and that we need a Savior. Help us please not to be offended this morning and to turn away from Jesus. Help us please to grow in love and understanding for him and to cling to him, to confess our sin, and to trust him for forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.